to be back. It feels like you've been gone forever. Wow, you're here. How did you get here so early? Wow, wow, that was that was very quick. Welcome back. Welcome back. Well, I I have been really excited to be back, and and I got to tell you, I I was I was so thankful. While I was gone, I got to listen to Alexis preach and then Peter preach, and I thought, yeah, I'm, I'm really not sure they need me back there. <laughs> it was such a blessing, and praise God for both of you, and it spoke to my heart and how profound that was. And while where I was, uh, the first week I was out in California, and that seemed like eons ago, and it was just two weeks ago. It was crazy what the Lord has done in the last two weeks. And, and uh, part of this new series that we're coming into is a result of what happened two weeks ago. I, I knew that this was something that this idea of spiritual warfare was something that God was going to have me speak on at some point. I just didn't know when. I, I thought maybe he would, he would allow me to gather all the information, get it all nicely organized and and, and planned out, and I can say, yeah, we're going to go for this many weeks, and I really don't know why I thought that, because he never does that. He never does that for me. No, he said, I want you to start this now. Why? Because he wants to teach me something in this. He has something for every one of us in this. And so I, I, I've just been chomping at the bit to get started with this. So it, be, before we get started... I just want to pray because this is significant, and and what this this um, I, I'm going to state this even. This is probably going to be the most significant thing or series that you will hear come out of my mouth to this point. I, I think that this is a moment for Ignition Church as we begin to grasp and understand what this is. I think this is a defining moment for us. Because, see, there's a real enemy out there that does not want us to get this. Does not want us to understand his strategy, how he works. Why? Because there is way, there are ways to battle against that. And not just defensively, which most of the church operates in a defensive mode. And that's how it's been for years. But that's not what he wants. That's not what the Bible teaches, and that's not what is going to happen. As God readies his bride, you will see a shift from defense to offense. That's where he wants us to be. That's where I believe we have shifted as a church, as a local body ourselves. But it's important to understand what this means, what this means as a church body for us, what this means in how we reach out to others in the Bride of Christ, but even more than that, how and what it means to you, what it means to me, in our personal walk, our personal relationship with Jesus Christ. This is critically important. It's so important to grasp this. So before we get started on this, let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. We thank you and praise you. God, I thank you for every person here and every person watching online, whether it be live or later. God, I pray blessing and declare blessing over each one of them to receive your word with 
readiness of mind, readiness of heart. To let it sink into their mind, body, and soul so deeply that it affects every point in their life. God, this is all about preparation for what you have called us to do. And not just as a church, but individually. So God, I pray that every word that comes out of my mouth, not just today, but for this entire series, I pray is only your words. Because God, what I beg you for, and what I know you have promised me, is that you will be speaking to me as much as you're speaking to each one of them. So God, as our supreme commander, as our commander-in-chief, we submit to you in obedience. We silence ourselves, and we just let you speak. We love you so much. Praise you. You're a good, good father. And Jesus, we worship your name above all names. We thank you for your presence here. Jesus' precious name. Amen. So most people think there's a God, right? Okay. And and I'm not talking about Christians. I hope Christians think there's a God. (laughs) I'm talking about the world in general. You know, if if you talk to the world in general, 9 out of 10, probably even more than that, are going to say, yeah, there's a God. And, and, Many will even say, yes, and there is something that opposes God. Because it's so evident to see in the world that there's good and evil, right? And so even the world will attribute that to two different things, to God and the devil, or to good and to evil. Okay? That seems pretty obvious. So I don't understand why Christians who know Jesus Christ as Savior, who have a relationship with Him, I don't understand how they minimalize the attack of the enemy. I don't understand how they will minimalize what the enemy does in their life or in the church. And we've gone through years of this, by the way. You've seen, if you, if you study church history, it's really interesting, all the way back to Acts. If you ch- study church history, you see this graph that goes kind of like this, right? Where the fervency and the passion of the church or the bride goes up and down, up and down, up and down. Now, for a long time there, it was way down. And there have been dips so low that you wondered if it was going to come out. But then there's been highs so high where you wonder, is God just going to come? Okay, we've gone through these. Over the last 50, 60 years, even more than that really, if you you want to look back, it's been over the last few hundred years, the church had come to a place where the Holy Spirit did not hold a place in the church except for salvation. Well, that's what the Holy Spirit's for. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. When I get saved, He comes and He dwells with my spirit. He's the guarantee. That's His whole job, is to be the guarantee for my salvation. If that's the case, then He doesn't have much to do. 
See, because the Bible says where light is, darkness cannot be. So simply to be the guarantee for us, all he has to do is dwell in our spirit. That's all he has to do. But see, the Bible talks about how the Holy Spirit is at work in our lives. Whether we see it or not. But it's when the church starts to open up and let the Holy Spirit do what he wants to do that you start to see that graph rise. And you start to see the power in the church begin to change, begin to come alive, begin to see intimacy with his people. So I don't, and and in doing that, it, it just astounds me how Christians do not recognize that if you do not allow the power of the Holy Spirit into your Christian walk, that is a strategy of the enemy. See, just because you're saved doesn't mean you're protected from the enemy. And this is what we're going to get into. What I want to talk about as we get into this spiritual warfare, and I have no idea how many weeks this is going to be. I have no clue. I'm guessing three, and it's probably going to be more like ten. <laughs> I don't know. I remember the, the I can't remember what the series was, but I thought it would be one Sunday, and it ended up being seven, right? Is, is that Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. But this is important. This is important that we grasp this. If you grasp nothing else, grasp the fact that you are at the center of a battle. And that battle is for your will. That is what Satan wants. He wants to defeat you in your life according to your will. So as we go through this, I'm going to try and be as comprehensive as I can be. So for those of you who grew up as, as a Christian and, and know some of these stories, you know, don't nod off on me. Because I think we're going to give you a little bit different look at how this battle began, why it began, why it rages, why it's even stronger now than it's ever been. And it's going to get even greater. But as the church starts to shift to offense, we're going to see things that have never been seen in the world before. So we're going to start at the beginning. Before God created man, before God created the angels, he was and he is. He said, I am that I am. He's the beginning. He's the end. There was no start to God. There will be no end to God. However, this battle, which is angels, on both sides, it's humans kind of in the middle, choosing different sides. All of that was created. Everything was created by God, by the Trinity, by Jesus Christ. And we're going to, we're going to look at the history of this. Okay, and I, it, let me just say this note. Most people think that there is a God, which I said, Satan, and us, and we simply make conscious choices to follow one or the other. This is not true. and that it, I won't pull it up, but Matthew 12, verse 30. 
states that. This is because Satan has woven such an intricate web of deception that most people don't have a clue the influence that Satan is and his army have on them. Okay, we're going to begin with the history of this and, and going through how it became a battle in the first place. Then we'll go into how does that battle affect us as Christians, specifically. Then, how to defend against that battle when you have attacks on you. How do you defend against that? That's really important to know. But then, again, that shift of defense to offense. We're going to talk about how that shift occurs and what does it mean to be on offense in this battle. And then, finally, we'll end with victory. What does it look like when this battle is done? What does it look like in our lives when we go on offense and we we get to a place where we are fully used by Jesus Christ? So that's a rough outline of what we're going to go through. But at the beginning, there was nothing but God. He created everything, and everything He created was perfect. I want you to turn to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, shows us that God created everything, including angels. Colossians 1, verse 16 says says this, For by Him, God, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all were created through Him and for Him. Okay, there's more in that verse than we think. Because he didn't just create all of these things. He didn't create just angels, humans, and all this. He created the very dominions that they will have. Right? Now, remember, what he created was perfect. He did not create Satan and his fall. And and I'm going to give Satan a strategy. That's not what he created. He created perfect Creation. Perfect angels. <laughs> like my kids. Sorry, not. <laughs> Sorry. A little detour there. But everything that he created, it says here, visible or invisible, whether thrones or dominions, he's talking about different levels of authority. So he created the concept of authority. We talk about authority all the time. We have authority in our lives. We give authority off. We're under authority, whether it be in the physical or in the spiritual, right? We're under authority, so there is authority in this world. He created that authority. That didn't just pop into existence, or that didn't just, you know, Satan just took authority because because he wanted to. That authority concept, that whole strategy of authority and, and, and thrones and dominions, rulers and authority, that was all created by God. And it was created perfect. Turn to Job 38. And, and by the way, you, you want to use the, in your bulletin, you want to use where you could take notes. Write down these scriptures, look them up later. I want to really encourage you to dive deep into this study. 
When you go during the week, take what we talked about today and dive into it. This is going to make a huge difference in your walk with Christ. I promise you that. So Job chapter 38. Okay, come on hand. Job chapter 38 and verse 4. We're going to read 4 to 7. Say this. Okay, and we have to understand that angels were around when God created the universe. Okay, I want you to get a sense of the timing of all this. Verse 4. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? By the way, let me give you a little background here. Okay, you, you all know the book of Job. And, and Job, you know, he was tested or sifted by Satan and, and, you know, goes through all this stuff. And at the end, you know, Job is kind of complaining, you know, okay, finally just take my life, right? And that's when God shows up. You know, he shows up and he, he enters this conversation of five people, or he becomes the fifth, right? Four people, Job plus three others. He enters into this conversation and he begins talking to Job. He begins answering Job. He said, stand there like a man and let me speak to you and you can answer me. That's, that's, that's crazy. Okay, I, I, We'll just let that alone for a second. I just want you to have this picture of what's going on. But what you have to understand is God is not talking to Job. I mean, he is in a physical sense because he's there. But you've got to remember the reason Job's in this in the first place. is because Satan demanded to have him sifted. And we'll get into that, to that later, because what I'm going to submit to you is that God could not say no. Because of God's righteousness, because of his court system in heaven, when Satan demanded that, Satan had a right to demand that. And you saw what happened in Job's life. But Job remained true to God. And so now at the climax of this, God is standing there and Jesus is, is speaking and He says, you know, I'm speaking to you, Job. But then He talks past Job and He talks to the one who brought him to the sifting to begin with. And He starts to talk to him and He says, Where were you when I laid the foundation of the of the earth. Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched? I love God. He, he's, he, he sense sarcasm here. He knows good and well that, that Job was created. And of course Satan was created. Which by the way was Lucifer at that time. He didn't change to Satan until after the fall. But he, he knows this. But he, he's just kind of putting that little dig in there. Who determined its, its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? And here's the verse I want you to get. When, in, when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Now I'm going to point something out here that, that's really interesting. Okay. Um, we don't know for sure, you know, the, the morning stars, Satan was called the morning star, okay? It could be talking about the physical stars singing here. 
Because then it says, and the sons of God shouted for joy. The sons of God in the Hebrew mean angels. That is what is referred to as angels. Okay? I'm going to submit to you that, that, uh, um, and, and I don't want to get derailed, derailed here, but, but Satan may not be an angel. The Bible never says that. It, it says that, that he, it, it has names of who he is. It uh, calls him a cherub, but cherubs are not linked necessarily with angels. Um, but we do know that it is a dominion in heaven. It was a dominion created by God. It was a, 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 a creation of God that had authority. We know Satan had ultimate authority over all the angels. So I, we don't know if he was an angel or not. It really doesn't matter because he operate, they, they all operate the same way. But I want you to notice this. When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy, what are they shouting over? What are they singing over? They're singing over the creation. They're singing over God laying His plumb line in creating the universe. So they had already been created. Okay, They had already been created at least probably on day one, but we know before the creation of the universe, they were in existence. Why? Because they're shouting for joy. They're singing. They're praising God for His creation. So they were through them. It's much like when Jesus Christ was on the earth and, and, and He was telling the disciples that He's going to die and, and, and be raised in three days. And Peter says, no, no, that's not going to happen. You know, surely not, Lord. And what was Jesus' response? Get thee behind me, Satan. It wasn't, no, Peter, let me tell you, this is real. And this, no, He talked beyond Peter. He talked to the power that was working through Peter at the time. So what this is talking about is Satan. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. Sardis, topaz, and diamond. Beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire. 
crafted in gold were your settings and your engravings. On the day that you were created, they were prepared. Let me go one more verse. You were an anointed guardian cherub. In other words, I think in the King James it says you're the anointed cherub that covereth. You are the top dog. You are the number one that is in authority over all the others. You know, Satan, or in this case it was Lucifer at that time, you, you were the best. You were my greatest creation, he says here. Lucifer was created by God and made the seal of perfection. And I, I, I just wish so bad that I could that's up there? Uh, in verse verse 12, if you go back to verse 12, the second half of verse 12 says, you were the signet of perfection. Okay, what this means is you were the seal, the very seal. You know, a signet ring, when, it, when a king had a law that he decreed, he had a signet ring, right? And, and he took that and he would put his ring into wax on the law, and that made it law. He was the seal. That ring sealed it into law. That made it perfect. It was done. It was said. It was finished. Right? And what Jesus is saying here is that, Lucifer, you were the signet of perfection. You were the very seal of perfection. You were the perfect creation. We won't turn to it now, but he was the one who led worship. He was the one who led worship in heaven. How crazy is that? It makes sense to me why he attacks so many worship leaders. You know, you hear all the time about worship leaders that have problems, right? Because that is something that is in Satan's heart that he wants to control. He wants to destroy the very thing that he did in heaven. He was the covering of them all, and he was the perfect, the signet of perfection. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. And in Genesis, this is, this is after the creation of the universe, after, well, first God created all the angels, and by the way, it says they're innumerable. We don't know how many there are, but they are innumerable. So he created this vast amount of angels, all different authorities of angels. Remember that because that's really important. So he didn't create them all the same. We just went over the fact that Satan was, was over all of them. He was number one amongst all of them. And we don't know how many. Say, say, there, say there are billions of them. Who knows? Satan was over all of them. One over all of them. He was the signet of perfection. But under him, there were also other levels of authority. That's what that last verse talked about, right? 
that he created these other levels of authority. And, and then after that, he creates the world. And now it comes down to man. He begins to create man. In Genesis 1.27, it says this. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female, he created them. So God wasn't done with just the angels. See, God wanted fellowship by choice. So he created man. He created man and woman. He created them to be fellowship with him. He created them in his own image, which the angels were not created in his image. And then he made them perfect. Very different than we are now. (laughs) But think about that. He created them perfectly. They were made perfect, just like the angels were made perfect. In fact, go back, or let's go down to verse 31 of Genesis. All that he did, he declared was perfect. Verse 31 says this, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, and that was the sixth day. On the seventh day, God rested. There was perfection. There was perfection in what he had created. So so now, I, I want you to picture this scene. Adam and Eve are in the garden. Right? They're created. They have fellowship with God. They have an understanding of far more than we have today. Of the ten dimensions that the Bible talks about there being, we're subject to four of them. Right? Height, width, length, and time. We're, we're within time. God created time. Time was created when God breathed into Adam. Now, you have to remember, God's outside of time, but so are the angels. All right? They are out of this dimension that we're, I'm I'm sorry, they're not out of time. They're out of the dimensions that we're in. That's why we don't see them. They operate here, and we don't see it, right? Just kidding. We don't see them, right? They're in a different dimension than we are. Okay? But they, I, I want you to understand this, this, setting as it was. See, Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve had access to all the dimensions just like the angels. Right? They, they had all of this going on that they could see that we can't see right now. And it was perfect. There was perfect harmony. They were placed in the garden. And, and as we read this, it's really easy to understand, to think that, you know, and immediately... You know, Satan went in and he, he got them. And they were there for a few days and, and that was it. But in reality, as you study Scripture, they were probably in there for about a hundred years before Satan went after them. Now, the Bible doesn't say that specifically, but we know that they had Cain and Abel. And we know that, obviously, Cain killed Abel. But then they had Seth shortly thereafter. Adam was 130 years old when they had Seth. That was the first date listed in the Bible. Was He was 130 years old when he had Seth. So unless he waited 100 years, 
which would have been against God because God said, go be fruitful and multiply, then he probably had them, at least within uh, you know, a few years, a short time before that. So, so what's going on here is you have this perfect utopian place with Adam and Eve, not yet having children, walking with God in the cool of the day, seeing the angels, seeing all of the... He had dominion over the entire earth. He named all the animals. He was in charge. God placed Adam in charge. So much so that, that he was able to name everything. So you can you could just kind of picture what's going on. And he only had one warning for them. He only had one thing that they could not do. He said, of all the fruits of the garden, you can eat all the trees that have fruit. You can eat everything except one thing. This tree over here, this tree that is the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you cannot eat of that. Right? Because things are going to change when you do. So they had no understanding of evil. They had no understanding of, of what we do today in that way. They could see all the angels. I'm sure they had fellowship with the angels. You know, if, if Satan led worship in heaven, you know there was worship here with them that perhaps they all did it together. It was a very different world that was going on. All the heavenly hosts in Eden were together in peace. And as I said, probably for a while, perhaps a hundred years. The Bible doesn't say that specifically, but there, there, was a, there was a time period before the fall. And, and that makes sense, too, because, see, Satan didn't just decide one day to wake up and wait, I could be God. He didn't just decide to do that. That's something that worked on his heart. Now, I'm going to say something that I believe, and, and this, is, this isn't, don't take this as doctrine. You can just mark this down as Greg's belief. But it makes sense to me. I think that the reason man is in the center of this turmoil is because man was the very thing that knocked Satan off track or at that time, Lucifer. That he became jealous, not of, of God's attention. See, because I, I don't think God's attention ever changed for him. You know, like when you have a second child, maybe you kind of ignore the first child a little bit. You know, God didn't do that. God loves us. Sorry, Brooke. God didn't do that. God loved Lucifer. He was his perfect creation. He said that. So he never changed. What did change? The fact that God created Adam and Eve and they gave such adoration to God. Now, I don't know what was different between them and the angels at that time. I, I really, that, that part I don't understand. Why, why, why were they such a prize? Okay. Uh, Satan had all the other angels under him. Why were Adam and Eve such a prize? I don't know. I can't wait to ask God that when we get up, up there. But whatever, whatever reason they were, and it was the adoration that they gave God, the fellowship that they had with God, Satan became jealous of that. 
pride was found in his heart, the Bible said. I want you to turn back again to Ezekiel 28. See, at some point in the garden, which, which we already read, Satan had access to the garden. Satan was in the garden. And he was in the garden after he sinned. After pride was found in his heart, we know he was in the garden because he went after Eve, right? So, so he was in the garden, and this becomes over, it starts to overtake his heart. And iniquity was found in his heart. Ezekiel 28, we're going to start at verse 15. Now remember, we had talked about uh, above, Jesus was saying, you're the signet of perfection, full of wisdom. You were in Eden, the garden of God. But then, then down in verse 15, things shift. It says, you were blameless in your ways from the day you were created. In, in other words, I created you perfect until, until unrighteousness was found in you. You were blameless. You were perfect from the day you were created until unrighteousness was found in you. Verse 16 is awesome to me. In the abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence in your midst and you sinned. See, I think we do this. In, in the abundance of your trade, what is his trade? He goes around behind the back of God. He began to do this. You could even just picture it. It started in heaven. You can picture it with the people that, that were in close proximity to Satan. Maybe, maybe in that hierarchy we talked about, there were people right under him that he was in control of. You can imagine him just going to them and being frustrated that, well, you know, I don't know why you know, God pays so much attention to them and they don't pay attention to me or what, you know, the iniquity was found in his heart. It grew there from a pride. And, and then was the fall of Satan. Because see, once iniquity was found, there was no opportunity for redemption. You have to understand that. See, angels who see, right, there's, who see God in the present, there is no opportunity for redemption of them. Why? Because they cannot live by faith. They see it all right there. When iniquity was found in his heart, there was no opportunity for redemption for him. But it overwhelmed him just like sin does. Have you ever had a sin in your life that started out so small? And it just began to grow as you gave into it, as you did it more, as you you know gave into this sin. It, it, it started to overwhelm you. You know that's how alcoholism is, that's how drug use is, that's how pornography is. It's it's these things that start out so small. Oh, I could control that. It's small. It's nothing. Don't worry about that. But then it becomes such a raging inferno inside of you. See, Satan's no different in that. It started out small in him. But he allowed it to consume him, and it took him to a place where he was in opposition of God. 
He was made perfect until iniquity was found in his heart. I want you to turn another place. Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 14. And we're going to read verse 12. Because it didn't just affect him. Remember the, the, the verse we just said, because of your trade, what you did. Here was the effect of what he did in heaven. This is before he even began to infect man. Verse 12. How are you, how you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. How you are cut down to the ground and you have laid the nations low. That's not the one I thought it was. Oh, no, no, no. I'm sorry. Yes. So this was his fall. You say, and I'll read verse 13. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. And he starts declaring all these things he will do. See, he had power. He had incredible power. God had placed him... Think about it. He's number four. Right? You have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit... And then you have Lucifer. Lucifer led everything else. He's number four. Well, I'm so close to that top three, I think I could just do that. See, what Satan didn't really connect in his mind is he was created. They were not. God was not created. God always was. So this was found in his heart, and we won't turn there, but Revelation 12.4 said that he took his tail as the dragon took a third of the stars with him. So you can imagine that, that with, with all the innumerable angels that were in heaven, Satan took a third of them with him. Now what does that mean? Did they, did they have to leave their, their dominion? Did their, you know, how they operated? No. They still operate in the same way that they operated. They had to fall from heaven, though. They were given dominion somewhere else, right? So, so what happened here is he took, when he took that third, he also took an organized structure with him. See, there are different angels. If, if you read in the Bible, you see a difference between Gabriel, let's say, and Michael. See, when Daniel was praying, his, his prayers got to the throne of God, and who his assigned angel was, was Gabriel. And Gabriel's trying to get the answer back to Daniel. And he meets resistance, heavy resistance, by the prince of Persia, which, which is a demonic angel, a demonic principality. He meets this resistance, and he can't get back. So Michael, the archangel, comes and he helps him. See, there's a difference between Michael and Gabriel. There was a hierarchy. There was a different use between each one. Certainly a different strength. Because when you see in the Bible, and the Bible talks about various different angels, not too many of them, but you see it in Revelation. At the end, it's not Jesus Christ who throws Satan into the abyss. It's Michael. One angel. See, it didn't take, and by, by the way, he doesn't just throw Satan, he, he throws all of them. See, it, it didn't take the strength of an angel, it took the strength of 
Jesus' word. So, so what we have here, when Satan took a third of the angels, he took the hierarchy of those angels as well. He took the levels of authority. Just like it says in Ephesians 6, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but, and then it starts to give levels of authority of the enemy. That's why you wonder how different things rock you in different ways. You know, the enemy can come in the form of a biting spirit. The enemy can also come in the form of something that bowls you over, if you let it. There are levels of authority with the enemy because when Satan took a third of those stars, there was already a hierarchy. Do you you understand what I'm saying? There was already a hierarchy in heaven. And he took a third of those with him. So now, as he takes this third with him, he begins to set his eyes on man. He has already drawn the line. When he sinned one time, when iniquity was found in his heart one time, there was no level of redemption for him. That line was drawn in the sand. He then takes a third of the angels with him. Now what becomes the target? It's not God. See, he can't do anything to God. He was created by God. I, I think he realized immediately that he, will, he, he can't rise to the throne of God. He found that out immediately. So what became his focus? His focus became us. His focus became Adam and Eve because they were God's precious creation. that the angels just cheered over was created for Adam and Eve. How crazy is that? It wasn't created for the angels. It was created for Adam and Eve in such a way that there would be fellowship with man, between man and God. That's what the original intent, we've talked about that before, God created us for fellowship. He wants to be with us. He wants to be intimate with us, we were created for fellowship, but yet angels were created for service. Everywhere you read in the Word of God, an angel is there for some type of service. It could be that another meaning for angels is, is that they're messengers. So it could be a service of a messenger. It could be a warring angel. Michael is certainly a warring angel, right? When they're in trouble, who do they call? What, that's what Gabriel did. It took 21 days, but Michael fought back that prince of Persia. So they have different functions, but they are service-oriented. That's what angels were created for, for service. Service to God. That's why when, when Lucifer rebelled, there was no redemption for him. Why? Because there wasn't the intimate fellowship. They were created for service. Everywhere you look in the Bible, you'll see that. But man and woman were created for fellowship. Man and woman were created for intimacy, for love. See, Jesus Christ wants that love from you so desperately, and that's what you were created for. So the very thing that would bring God joy 
is the very thing that Satan wants to disrupt and to destroy. So you got to remember, you might be the target, but you're not the reason. The reason is God. Satan hates God. Because he hates God, because he is unredeemable, his target becomes what God loves. By the way, that doesn't mean when you become a Christian. See, because God, Jesus died for the whole world. Jesus died for everyone, whether they accept him or not. He loves them. He loves everyone in the world. But he gave them a choice. And we've talked about that before. Because choice was the very thing that was necessary for that love to be possible. So because of that possibility of intimacy, because of that shared love between mankind and God, it made mankind the target for the enemy. So, so just in closing, I, I want to set this scene. And, and by the way, you know what? Actually, let's, let's turn one more place. Genesis chapter 3. Satan sets his eyes on man because of God's decree. And and we'll get into this beginning next week. But after the fall, after Adam sinned and God came and, you know, like, what's going on here? He spoke to Satan and he decreed this over Satan. And this is what put us in the middle of Satan's target. We're right in his crosshairs. It was this decree, verse 15. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. Now, by the way, don't get confused. He's not talking about men. I know, I know a lot of people say that, well, women hate men. <laughs> I mean, that, that might have been a side effect. That's not really what he's talking about here. Right? He's talking beyond the snake. Remember that. As he does in Scripture very often, he talks to the power behind what is going on. So he's talking to the power behind this this snake, which is Satan. And he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. Catch that? Okay, we're going to get into something here. I I almost hesitate to do it. We're not going to do it today. Um, But we're going to get into something that, that... I don't want to be confusing to you. But as we get into the concept of what happened and led up to the flood, we're going to begin to understand that Satan took an active role in going after humanity, in engaging with humanity. Right? That's what it's talking about here. He's he's laying a little foreshadowing of what is to come. Because he, God knows what Satan's going to do. So I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring, Satan's offspring, and her offspring, which is us. He shall bruise your head, which is Jesus Christ. The offspring that, that, that is talking about of the woman is Jesus Christ when he comes as man. He shall bru- bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. 
So this was decreed over Satan when, when he resisted God, when he went after man. It was, it was one thing to be thrown out of heaven. It was one thing to be unredeemable and, and, you know, you've lost that. You've taken a third of the angels with you. But now, now you're messing with my creation. Now you're messing with the very object of my adoration. You're messing with my love. So there was a line drawn. As Satan did this, and we became a target, there was a line drawn. And Satan then made us his number one priority. See, his whole existence is to destroy us. Right? His whole existence it said, is to come as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour or whom he may destroy. That's not a fact. That word there in the Greek is to abolish, to completely dismantle. He doesn't want to just take you off your life, make it off track. He wants to destroy you. He wants to take away any good thing that He can in your life. And that's all of mankind. Now when we accept Jesus Christ into our heart, we have a protection. We have a protection over our spirit. He can't do anything to our spirit any longer because the Holy Spirit is there. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, as I said, when we accept Christ into our heart, He, came, he comes as the seal or the guarantee of our spirit. But remember, man is made up of three things. Body, soul, which is our mind and spirit. We're vulnerable in two other areas. We're vulnerable in our body, which if you need evidence of that, ask anyone who is saved. Ask them if they've sinned since. <laughs> yeah. We sin. We sin all the time. So that seal of the Holy Spirit didn't cover our body. We still live in sinful flesh. We still sin. That's why Jesus said, come to me daily. Ask me to reveal even if you don't know what you did. Ask, ask for me to reveal it. And then ask forgiveness for that so there can be that communion. So, so He comes. We have fleshly body that we fight against. But then we also have to fight against our mind. That is also vulnerable to the enemy if we let it be. That's why Paul said, I die daily. Right? We're, to, we're supposed to renew our minds daily. We're supposed to keep our eyes focused on Him daily. And thus, this line is drawn. And the battlefield is set. You have this epic trilogy of God versus Satan. But in reality, that, that makes it seem like Satan's as strong as God, right? It's not that. It's really Satan versus man. That's really what it is. See, God has to go by the rules He set up to begin with. And those rules were set up for the sake of love. In one word, God could... Wipe all this out and start again. 
except for his righteousness. Because his word is true. He follows through in his word. So this isn't God versus Satan. This is man versus Satan. Because, see, we're the prize. We're exactly who Satan wants to dismantle or take off course. Or, if he can keep any from not knowing God at all, that's complete victory. See, we're the target. So as we get into this series, I want you to understand that Satan will do everything he can to go after you. There are no holds barred in this. And he'll do it in such a way that you don't expect. So when we get into this idea of warfare, you know, ne- next week we're going to talk about how, how this setup and this, this battlefield, these lines have been drawn. How does that really affect us as people? How does that affect us if we're not Christian? How does that affect us if we are a Christian? I mean, for, forget the defending against it yet or even going into offense. We gotta make sure we understand, are we affected by Satan? Are we affected by, by what he does? I mean, to most of us, most Christians, you'd say, well, of course. But how? And why? Why does God, how many times have you been asked this question by somebody who does not know Christ? Why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? That's the answer that we want to dig into. Because there, there's a reason for it. And it's got nothing to do with what God wants. It's got to do with the righteousness of his word. And the laws that he proclaimed at the very beginning, he holds true to and holds fast to. And by the way, God plays by the rules. That's why he didn't wipe us out to begin with. When he created Adam and Eve, he could have wiped us out right then. But he didn't. It was for the sake of love. He let it go. And he knew it was going to happen, of course. So you'd think, well, why in the world did he even create us if he knew all this was going to happen? Because, see, the prize is love. The prize is intimacy. That's what he wants. That's what he wants for himself. And that's what he wants for each of us. Intimacy with him. So we're going to get into that next week and, and, uh, you know, just what that fall of man and what it really cost. And I, I will say this, and we'll get into it a little bit next week, but it was Adam's choice. See, Eve was deceived, Adam was not deceived. It was Adam's choice. And I believe and, and again, you can mark this down as a Greg belief again. I believe if Adam would not have eaten of the fruit, I believe Eve would have been destroyed and they would have moved on. But see, you understand, Jesus was the last Adam. He compared himself. He died for the church just like Adam died for Eve. Adam chose death because of love, because of the very thing that God wants from us, And the very thing that he created to just encircle him, this idea of love, Adam chose love by eating that fruit. Adam knew what he was doing. 
It said he was not deceived, so you have to understand in that he understood the cost. Now, maybe he didn't understand the billions of people that would come after him, but he understood that he brought death into the world. He understood what he was giving away when he did that. So we'll, we'll get into that next week. Let's pray. Just like that, Lord, help us to understand the strategies of the enemy. Just, just like you said in Ephesians 6, that we will know the wiles of the devil. We will know the strategies of the devil. As we lay this out, out help us to understand from the origins into the strategies and then how to defend against it and then how to overcome it. God, I pray that you just make this series come alive. Help us, Lord, in digging into it that, that we understand we can have victory in our lives. And as we take this to personal points in our lives, help us to know how to defend, how to conquer, how to keep the enemy out of our lives and victory in our lives. I love you so much, Lord. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I was thinking my biggest prayer for all of us throughout this series is to ask God to open our eyes to see something that we've never seen before about these truths in Scripture and also about ourselves. Because being able to um, see how this applies to your having direct victory as an overcomer, you know, Scripture talks about being an overcomer, it is really understanding these principles of warfare. You know, so many Christians in so many churches across the country right now, today, and perhaps even the world, have this philosophy that it's really not their issue. They, they You know, the, the warfare thing, like he said at the end, the whole, it is all just God versus Satan, and so it's kind of, it's kind of a, an abstract concept. Yes, it's true, but it's like, it, what does it have to do with me? They really disconnect the the direct effect that that has on our lives and on our trials and on our struggles. And, you know, I was thinking when Greg was saying that, that, you know, in Isaiah it says that we were also created for God's glory. And because humanity, because humans are the prize, look at the destruction that was brought into the world because of sin and because of Satan's strategy of disease, sickness. Um, what now people, because of deception and lies, do to their own bodies. Everything from sexual sin to, uh, to forms of mutilation that various people, even in the Western world, but certainly in some tribes, do as markings that really distort um, the human body and all kinds of issues. And now, of course, the attack on just the gender, just the differences between men and women, the lines 
lines are blurred and people are going to excruciating uh, surgical lengths to change their very gender um, because of the deception in their minds. So Satan's attack is also on who we were created to be humanly in our bodies. So there's so many things that um, that we need to understand. And, and I, for one, um, I, I don't know if I speak for you, but um, and this may seem a little bit strong, but I'm just sick of it. Are you, do you ever just feel that way sometimes? I'm just sick of being on the defensive. I am encouraged that God gives us the opportunity to be on the offensive. Um, I, I just I found that I just had this um, this place of of, of a, a righteous indignation uh, the other day where um, after an attack of the enemy and the Lord just giving me some clarity on His truth, I just said, you know, I'm going to go after you. And and I knew that those were words that I could not say in my flesh, but that I was I felt, Lord, you have equipped me. You have given me the very same power that raised Jesus from the dead. So for once, I'm going to start to use that power and get get a holy feisty uh, attitude toward the enemy and go on the offensive, not within your flesh, but within the strength and power that God gives us. And so that's what I'm excited about is to learn more about these warfare tools, um, because, again, when you can thwart an attack and, and Brooke reminds us often during worship that praise is a great way to thwart attacks and assignments coming against us, to worship him, to lift up the most high God and to have a deeper connection in your intimacy uh, really will give you strength against the enemy. So I'm really excited, but I do know that we really need to ask God to show us things. I said this in the ladies' class with our our series on um, the weapon of the word and the deception from the enemy. But we've got to ask God to show us things that even might, in our flesh, even frighten us a little bit. Like, Lord, I... It might scare me to see in my life what needs to change. It might scare me to see what I haven't surrendered. Even some of our trials, some of our, um, you know, the things we've been praying for, what maybe is unsurrendered? What maybe needs to change? What is a pattern of thinking that I have not even connected this this pattern of thinking that's based on deceptive lies from the enemy, I've not even connected that to all these trials over here. You know, it might be scary to face that. Have you ever been scared to face something that you're just like, oh, I don't, I don't know that I even want to know the answer. It's too frightening. That's where sometimes Satan gets us. But ask God to give you courage and strength to face those realities because then you'll be equipped with the truth. And, uh, and anytime you have those fears, too, we know that's not of God. Because the fruit of the Spirit walking with God is only the love, joy, the peace, the gentleness, goodness, meekness, faith, all the great, great things. So, um, so thank you. I'm, I'm, I, it's funny. I have to laugh, too. I don't know how many weeks it will last. But you know what? We're just going to stay at it till it's done, right? We're just going to get this thing down. That's, that's what we need to do. So I, I appreciate that. And God's going to do great things. There is a purpose. For this series, and it really uh, will be life-changing for Ignition and for all those online that that are hearing it. So praise God for that. Um, in your out, in your uh, bulletin, please look at this. Some of the some of the format may look the same, but there will always be something new and different in there. Um, I know that the Awaken Weekend is right around the corner, and there's some details about that that I'll have Greg share. But don't forget. Um,